0: Welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Techno Wizard. Uh, it is Sunday, September 25th, 1246 p.m. 2022. And oh la, oh la <laughs> It's been a stressful week. A lot going on this week. Culminating into a more stressful weekend. But it was some fun stuff in there too. Um, and of course a lot of a lot of thoughts, a lot of things I want to share. So let's get into it. I want to cover, um, after I vent a little bit about my week, I want to cover some stuff about like what I've been thinking, uh, solo punk anarchy, um, some stories to tell, technologies to think about, um, societal structures to consider, things like that. Um, want to let me see what else was on my mind, oh yeah, some what I was thinking about in terms of religion and history and theism versus non theism versus uh whatever you call it, just just getting a better idea of you know how we can craft a sort of a sort of what do you call it non theistic religion or something like that. <laughs> You know, just utilizing these same wisdoms, but in a better, hopefully better, you know, kind of format. And, I don't know, whatever else I get to. So, this week has been stressful because, on one hand, oh gosh, the beetle just flew right on me. (laughs) On one hand, this, uh, it was very busy at work, very, 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 very busy. So, it was creating this storyboard. one of our clients and they have all these like quizzes and failure points that they want in their simulation so I ended up having to create this huge (laughs) matrix with all the uh, uh, potential failure points and that just took a lot of time and effort to to go through like it's a simple idea the entire simulation is fairly simple but the the way you have to kind of calculate what fails and what does not means i had to really you know write all this out and it just took a lot of time and then i had to update it because you know certain things were changed or certain things were misunderstood so i had to go back and do the whole thing over again basically and it was just like oh it's a lot of tedious work um but again i'm i'm very excited for this simulation i'm very excited for it (laughs) and uh we should be should be putting it into a visual format like, you know, in the actual Unity project so we can see in the headset this week. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, Another one of our simulations is pretty much almost done as well, so that has been cool too. But uh, it was yeah stressful just getting all this stuff done Um, and tedious. (laughs) You know, all the little details you gotta look up and make sure all the all the words and transitions and interactions and all this other stuff makes, makes sense. So, yeah. That was that. And then, um, after work stuff, there was just a lot, of, a lot of running around. Errands and appointments and this, that, and the other. And it was just a little frustrating having to, you know, get off work just to do more work after <laughs> In a way. Um, so. And then it all culminates into... Um, freaking car problems in addition to other stuff so I think I mentioned last week that this week this weekend I was going to celebrate my birthday um, at Andretti's or one of these go-kart places like I really wanted to try some go-kart racing and uh, laser tag and all this other stuff try to do an adventure day, invited a few friends Uh, goodness but So I ended up deciding Andretti's, but I didn't specify which Andretti's. <laughs> At least not to everybody. I forgot to, you know, specify it, and nobody else asked. And so half the party ended up going to the wrong one, the one in Marietta instead of the one in Buford. And so <laughs> that was a wash. And then um, when we went, when we got to the Andretti's, um, first of all, it took like. So long to get there. So it, it is. Beaufort is pretty far from my house. It's like an hour drive usually. But there's a bunch of freaking traffic. A bunch of traffic. Right. And for those that don't know, by the way, Beaufort is basically the area. And I didn't even know this at the time. But Beaufort is basically um, uh, the Mall of Georgia. So you may have heard of the Mall of Georgia. One of the biggest malls in the country. Um, and there is so much traffic there was so much traffic it wasn't even up there like by the mall it was down here um trying to get from six seventy five to two eighty five it was an accident and um that ended up adding an extra 20 or 30 minutes of just sitting in traffic I'm so mad because like I saw it on the map but I was like if I have if I go around I would it, it would take me like 20 minutes to go around anyway so I was just like might as well you know go through it and usually what happens Cause I try to follow Google's Google Maps, you know, estimations, and usually they're not too wrong. Where they say, "Oh, plus five minutes." I'm like, okay, that's not too bad, All right? But then what happened was, <laughs> as I sat there, it was like, "Oh, plus ten minutes, plus fifty, oh, plus twenty minutes," you know. So I ended up just sitting there the whole time, and I could have just went around. Um, I probably should have earlier on. But that's just lessons I need to learn, I guess. Not depending on Google that much. <laughs> But yeah, what usually happens with these accidents is that, you know, if it's not too bad, you know, you can kind of the traffic will continue and you can keep going. But this one was bad, so there's only one other time when I when I've seen an accident this bad. Oh, actually, two times. Actually, I don't know. It's kind of crazy. But (laughs) they end up stopping all lanes, right? Instead of just letting a few by, they stop all the lanes and they have to like pick up the pieces of the car because people you know the the car will have gotten destroyed or something like that and it was it's really bad and then you have you know the emergency vehicles come in and all this other stuff i didn't know this at the time because i was way far back but when i got close i saw you know the whole the whole stoppage thing so yeah it was it was really bad and i hope those people are okay who got into the accident i unfortunately i doubt it but i I hope that they are okay because it was it was terrible really terrible but yeah um, and then ended up being another accident um, or maybe it was just construction I don't know but it was a, a huge amount of traffic later down 285 as well on that same highway so that was that was frustrating um, so I ended up going around um, that time because I was like you know I ain't going to get stuck in another <laughs> another uh, incident area so I went around and it was this um how Atlanta's designed is really hard to get anywhere if you don't take the highway. So I ended up to end up having to go back on the highway anyways. Um but the turn on the, the 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 area where you have to get back on it from the side street I went on, it was like a weird freaking intersection where you're like at a stop sign and there's this like four, five, six lane, you know. Um, not highway, but like a road, really a strode, you know, one of those ugly roads where there's a bunch of lanes, and then a small little turning lane in the middle, and so I had to try to <laughs> cross, you know, all the way over into it, um, and then qu- make a quick turn, and make a quick, you know, a lane shift in order to get to the far right lane. So I'm on the on the left, you know, across the way. So there's oncoming traffic coming from, you know, my left. And then I have to turn in I have to get across this you know oncoming traffic in order to get into the, the the side I need to get on, and then make that lane shift in order to get into the highway, so I was able to do all that <laughs> without incident, um, but it took a lot of like a jerking efforts you know just you know, speed across here, you know okay, stop you know and then go into the next lane, okay, quickly shift over oh, it went too far in order to go into the highway, so I had to stop there quickly and then. And then go into the uh the, the lane turn off, so i'm I'm describing all of this for a reason <laughs> because when I got into the the highway start the the car started to like slow down or it wouldn't accelerate very much, and it started vibrating a lot it's like do you know um and I was like oh sh what what the hell's going on? you know it's actually the second time i've I've experienced this where I'm trying to accelerate, but it won't accelerate past like sixty. Um and the whole car is just vibrating pretty heavily. Um I didn't know what to do. I was still I was like in on the highway, so I didn't want to stop. <laughs> that's the last thing you want to do in the middle of the highway, just stop. Um and I was thinking about pulling over to the side, but again, I was like not all the way on the right side lane, so it would take some effort. So I just kind of rode it out cuz the first time I, it, it happened to me I just I was just able to ride it out so I stopped accelerating and just was just coasting on that 60 and then eventually it just it just went away and I was able to you know continue as usual. Um so when I finally got to Andretti's, um was playing some games and all that uh, actually no it was extremely crowded <laughs> it was extremely crowded and um party again ended up being split between these two different locations so I was like ah damn so I don't even know what to do now um I didn't really want to do too much in that location because it was so freaking crowded turns out there were two parties going on two huge parties like a bachelor's party and a, a huge kids party or something like that at the same time so I picked the wrong day <laughs> and um but I was like you know what I'm, I came here I wanted to at least do some one game so I, we did a round of uh of go-karts go-kart racing that was cool um I did decent I guess I feel like I could have did better but it was okay it was it was cool definitely a fun experience I wanted to do a little bit more but it was expensive it's like $30 for one you know seven minute race um and that was kind of weird but nonetheless it was pretty interesting and then when I was leaving the, the place, because we were we realized we were, we were right there next to Mallet, Georgia, so I figured, okay, might as well just go there, um, you know, at least it's a, you know, touristy location, you can experience some new stuff, and we saw that they had escape rooms, room, so we was going to try that. So, um, I began to pull out of the parking lot, and then the car stalls, so it just stops, you know, working, can't put the gas, can't turn, um, anything like that. So, I ended up just putting it in park right there in the middle of the of the parking lot, wa- like the exit to the parking lot. And um, put my blinkers, my hazards on and waited a little bit. Turned it back on, you know, it's like a computer. <laughs> turned it back on and it was it was working just fine. So, I was able to reverse, you know, I was able to, you know, drive around the parking lot just to test it and it was no problems. I was able to get to um Georgia with no problems I was even get I was able to get all the way back home with no problems I mean there was a, like a little shuddering every now and then um but you know that was kind of normal at this point so <laughs> I say all this because it turns out that this may be freaking scary um issue of a torque rod problem right where the engine on your car has these rods. That connect it to like the engine base, the uh, whatever they call it, the engine block, and if it's when it's securely connected, the engine won't move because the engine you know makes a lot of movements and and it's, it's a lot of stuff going on with it in there, right? And so if you secure it to the base correctly, all that vibrating, all that shutters and all that other stuff shouldn't shouldn't go to the rest of your car, so you won't actually feel the engine working. Um, but when those rods are loose or messing up. Then it transmits all the vibrations and stuff like that that's going on in the engine to the rest of the car, which can cause even more issues. So that's probably what happened. I say probably because earlier that day, (laughs) I actually did go to the Nissan Maintenance, um, Nissan Service Center, um, to get a full multi-point inspection. Because the car recently just reached 200,000 miles um, around my birthday. And I wanted to, you know, get an inspection Make sure everything's okay And see what I may need to replace What fluids and all this other stuff, right? So I did a full multi-point inspection And they pointed out so many issues Freaking... I mean, half of them may not be 100% necessary Even though it said critical It may not be 100% necessary If the previous owner did this stuff You know, before they gave it to me And I'm pretty sure they did But, like, things like the brake fluid The transmission fluid You know, um... Engine oil coolant, all this other stuff um, the radiator I already knew that was messed up I leak I patched the leak for now but I had I already have an extra piece and I can I have a mechanic who will put it in for relatively much cheaper than what Nissan would charge me um, and then the biggest the two biggest issues though was fixing the fixing the leak on the engine um because apparently there's a special type of um, seal that goes on the Nissan V6 2005 uh, engine. And you can't just replace like the small, part. you have to replace like this huge gasket area. So that takes a lot of effort and time. So yeah, they were gonna charge me like 1,400 for that. And then the next biggest thing was the, was the, um, what was it? I think the radiator. No, the radiator was, was a lot, but it wasn't that much. I mean, it wasn't as much. I forgot what the second biggest thing was. But nonetheless, it was... It's a lot of stuff to, to to do. But one of them I saw was that they mentioned the torque rod. It's not super expensive to fix. But it will take all day because they have to move everything and put it in there. Um. But when I was there, you know, earlier that, that, that morning, earlier Saturday morning... Yeah, we were going through these things and I was trying to figure out what, you know, to fix and whatnot. He was pointing out what what are the most important things I, I need to fix. And I didn't have the time or quite frankly the money to fix everything today. Because everything totaled out to be like almost $6,000 to fix. And if you recall, I only bought the car for like $1,000. So I'm just like, nah. <laughs> you know, the whole point of getting this is to, you know, have something to drive while I build up my credit so I can get a newer car. Um... But yeah, it was it was it's a lot, man. It was it was a lot. So it was stressful for all this stuff. And just this morning when I was dropping my, my siblings off at work, um, it stalled again while I was on the road. This time well, this time while I was on the road. And I was like, ah, so I'm just not drive it. <laughs> um until I can get it to a mechanic. So I'm trying to f I'm trying to see oh, that was the other one, the transmission fluid. It was mentioning how the transmission... You know, of course, that, that could be a big problem. Um, but it's tricky because it, there was a mention that... You shouldn't change the transmission fluid... If it hasn't been... Like... If it has never been really changed... and you should just keep it how it is. Because um, it may introduce more problems. So you end up having to fix everything else at, at the same time. Um, so I'm want I want to specify... I'm trying to call around and specify... If the problem is my transmission or if it's this torque rod issue. I'm hopefully, ho- hoping it's just the torque rod um, thingy because that one wasn't as expensive. But yeah, that, that was my weekend and uh, kind of put a, a bummer on everything else. Um, when good news, I mean, we did try a skate room. At uh, the mall of Mall of Georgia, and it was it was pretty fun. It was definitely cool. Um, good highlight of the weekend. New experience. I never done escape room before, so it was it was quite good. And we and we actually solved it. Well, sort of. <laughs> we ended up um, getting an extra 10 minutes, luckily, because we was like close to closing. Um, and we got stuck on some like some dumb stuff. Like we spent way too much time trying to figure out this Morse code stuff. <laughs> only for it to like you know apply to something much later on but uh it was it was cool and um yeah that was my weekend so very stressful and now i'm worried about this car situation once again i'm hoping i can just fix the torque rod and be good for a couple months until i can get a new car um but i I don't know so, thank you for listening to me vent about that, <laughs> or at least you know share my 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 story there. Um, without further ado, though, let's get into some more interesting stuff. <laughs> um, talk about future technology, solar punk, all that fun stuff, right? And a lot of it is kind of, you know, these these sorts of Experiences, these sorts of negative experiences, these sorts of trials and tribulations that I go through in my life are the things that fuel me, right? They're the things that be like, okay, this is why things need to be so different. Because all the while I'm thinking about, man, I just wish I'd just be able to take a train. You know, <laughs> well, how awesome would it be if I could just hop on a train from where I am in McDonough all the way up to Mala, Georgia and be there in like, you know, 30 minutes or less? Like, how how cool would that be? You know, how nice would that be? How how convenient would that be? <laughs> uh, or at the very least, you know, if I had some, if it was easier to get, you know, a, a more reliable car, you know, and all this other stuff, right? uh But even with that, like, because I already know, even if you have better cars, it doesn't really matter. There's just a bunch of nice cars on the highway, but, you know, they're all stuck in traffic just like me. So <laughs> it really doesn't matter that much. So really, this, these sorts of things just make me more excited and more, you know, um, more you know, convinced that we need better infrastructure. We need better public transit and all this other stuff because this is just ridiculous. So let me end this section and let me start on the next one. Okay. So now we're done with all that all that boring stuff. <laughs> I did want to talk about this great article I read talking about why um, anarchy anarchy needs more venture anarchy. meaning um, they point out, they point out how in the history of anarchy, right, you have these moments where you have these these different narratives going right? And um, like the in the earlier days of anarchy, of anarchism, you had a lot of uh, storytelling and critique of like capitalism and all these other systems and stuff like that. And then based on that, you had people begin to create fictions around, you know, what can, what can the world look like, you know, if it was more anarchist, if it was more uh, um, communal, if it was more decentralized, all these other things, right? You started to have these stories, and then these other um, people—you know, these uh, communists, you know, the communists and Marxists, and uh, so-called libertarians and things like that—would take these ideas and try to, you know, turn it into their own ideas. Like, oh, I don't think it's practical to have a a really horizontal, you know, thing. So maybe we should still have the state somewhere, and all this other stuff. So they would craft their own, you know, fictions and ideas and critiques based on. These, the anarchist ones, <clears throat> and this trend kind of continued. Where you have this, you know, one group comes up with these uh, these fictions, and another group is like, "Oh, here's how I can do better." <clears throat> but the problem is that in recent years, in recent decades, really, anarchism began to get more and more focused on like revolution, like revolutionary stuff, and um, <clears throat> and it started to be to the detriment of the discipline because. Um, Goodness, excuse me. What's going on with my uh voice right here? But um a lot of it started to be focused on, you know, purely revolutionary stuff, which is cool and all. But the problem is that like that's usually not how you know change happens, at least not just with revolutions, it's also evolutions. It's it's like this incremental change where you know by the end of it people don't even remember, you know, exactly when you change from one system to another. Right, but with anarchism constantly focused on just, oh, everything's gonna change after the revolution, right? After we do this, um, <laughs> it started to get be seen as less and less practical, right? And because of that, these these fictions started to become, you know, less and less, um, you know, prevalent. And at the same time, you also had this this shift in the general population, right? Uh, as we all can kind of point out right now, this shift away from utopian um, visions of the future in the 70s and 80s and stuff like that, um, or really a little earlier than that, from the 60s to the 70s and stuff like that, onwards to this dystopian element, this cyberpunk element of um, instead of people, you know, uh, visioning, you know, the Jetsons and uh, Tomorrowland and all this other stuff, People started to envision, you know, uh, cyberpunk 2021, and and uh, even Back to the Future, um, the elements with the with the cyberpunk area, or more 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 well known is the uh, Blade Runner, you know, stuff like this, where, you know, you had these really dark kind of ideas of the future, and because of that, you know, people started to be less and less. Um, Quite frankly you know excited for the future Right they started to see it as A thing to be feared and, and to be anxious about And to not really you know be interested In or at least not really be Looking forward to as much and because Of that you know people don't build You know more technologies And and, and, and societal Systems um, That question today's uh, the The current You know kind of Ideas I don't want to spend too much time, too much more time summarizing all this, but you kind of get the point, right? But throughout this article, they was talk, talking about how it'd be really cool and really important, really beneficial if you start to have some more venture anarchism, where people begin to create fictions and and um, ideas around like what are practical ways to um, live in a better future, to envision a better future. And that's something that really, you know, resonates with me because I'm just like, yeah, that's that's what I've been talking about. That's what I would love to do. So, with all that being said, I would like to share some some more d- ideas I have for the future, and some current kind of projects I have like in in my mind, and see, you know, what I want to focus on first. So, excuse me. Um, so. This all, this all uh, relates to me in terms of making it practical with uh, the real-world community movement builder kind of community builder stuff I've been doing. So on my birthday, um, I went to community movement builder, uh, I guess council or something. We did like a community event where people in the uh, one of the local Atlanta um, cities. We're meeting to discuss, you know, how do we fix our our housing situation, right? Because the area is being heavily gentrified, where people who lived there for decades are no longer able to afford to live there, while people who you know make a bunch of money um, move in and all this other stuff. Um, and you had these discussions around like how it got, how it got to that point, how and you know the early uh, aughts and things like that, and even a little bit before then. The entire area was was basically attacked um, by you know you had this heavy uh, cop presence and everything like that, and of course you have some people like, "Oh, because it was a drug problem because there's this that, and the other. But <laughs> as many people should know by now, like a lot of the drug um, problem right in America, especially in black neighborhoods, was brought on by the FBI or the CIA, whatever one was it, you know, Tail Pro And stuff like that Where they, um, and other operations, right Where they brought in drugs Extremely addictive opiates And things like that From other places in, And dropped it into these, you know uh, Impoverished neighborhoods That were already struggling Due to segregation Due to being, you know um, um, Disallowed access to You know, food security And all these other things so, You know, they were put in these food deserts so they were already struggling, right? Due to a racial discrimination and all of these and um, um, kind of basically hate against poor people. Do we have a word for that? Because <laughs> it w- wasn't, of course, just black communities. It was, it was many other immigrants. You know, um, Italians, uh, Asians. You know, um, poor whites. Even you know, a lot of these communities were very much discarded, right, by the ruling parties, by the middle. Not even uh, the upper middle class and the um, upper class and things like that, right? A lot of these people were just not cared about. And in fact, you can see this. I'm, I know I'm taking tangents on tangents, but... <laughs> you can see this in, a, in American kind of history. In American uh, discussions of, of like the whole eugenics movement. A lot of that was brought on by this idea that poverty was a character trait, right? Like poor people were poor because they were, you know were bad people because they were worse people because they had this this um i forgot the word for it but basically they had this this disposition to be poor and stuff like that right and this was a real you know thing that a lot of the you know um upper class folks thought and a lot of the 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 laws that were in place that were uh, created in the early 1900s you know in the early 20th century was to basically you know, discriminate against poor people <laughs> of all races and creeds, but especially of, you know, uh, like black people and, and um, other immigrants. So, all of this to say that these communities in which we're already suffering were done so, were, we're, we're very much created by this extremely, um, extremely, what is the word? I feel like there's a word for this, like this discrimination against poor people. Right? a lot of it was created and then the um, government you know, goes and drops drugs off extremely addictive drugs into these neighborhoods right? and so now people are now scrabbling for drugs and trying to do everything they can to get another hit and stuff like that and so you have this, this proliferation of crime and that is a perfect excuse for of course the militarization of the police, the expansion of the police power, expansion of the state power And that serves who? The ruling people, the ruling class Who wanted this land Who said, oh, you know, I want to make some developments there Best way to do that is to, you know Bring in um, police presence You know, flush out the people that's there um, Buy the land while it's cheap And then uh, gentrify it, right? Make it um, more expensive to live there So you can have all this money start to come in Alright, this is a, this is a pattern you can see throughout history, but especially in America. And so that's exactly what they did here in Atlanta. And so yeah, a lot of these people <laughs> from this seem be this community movement uh builders event were talking about this this kind of history and we're trying to figure out, you know, what we can do. So <laughs> I think that was the second tangent. So coming back from that tangent into the main <laughs> argument here, to the main idea here. Um so I was thinking like what can we do in terms of our technology and um, organizational structure, right, to make it easier for people in the local community to support each other, to support themselves. Biggest thing is, of course, and this is something they brought up themselves, is food security, right? Making it easier to grow food that we own, that you know, people own, who. Grow food locally, essentially, right? There's the people who live there, own the food, grow the food, and can thus trade food with their, with each other without having to go to these expensive stores or go out of the way to find a cheaper store where they can buy groceries and stuff like that. So we're discussing, discussing different ways to do that. And um, I brought up the point of, like, how can we use technology to, you know, to really supercharge this? Because, some, unfortunately, with a lot of these types of um initiatives right especially these community initiatives with you know um poorer people you have this tendency to ignore or or simply don't have access don't really think about tech- technological solutions right granted it is a good reason like you don't want to depend on the technology as the sole solution however we can use technology to empower whatever solution we come up with right and the solution they're coming up with is growing food in your yard, right? Growing food in your area, um, sharing food between people. There's a lot of people with, 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 with little small yards. But if we can, you know, you know, knock down the gates of whatever the fences and make those yards bigger or, you know, um, practice indoor farming or all these other kind of techniques to farm food. Or even getting food from other cities, from other like rural areas, right? And then, you know, bringing them up to the sea. And that way, you can establish a much more, um, a real ecosystem there. And so I was thinking, you know, how can we utilize something like uh, databases to make this easier, right? Create a database where you can easily see what grow, what kind of food grows in your area, in your in your you know your climate. Um, how to grow it easily, like how many times a day or a week or whatever do you have to water this type of thing? You know, what type of nutrients do you have to put in? What kind of things can you use? Like information, right? You just put in information that's already available, but is kind of out. It's just everywhere, right? So even though we like to decentralize power, it's good to centralize information to make it easier to access information. And so creating a platform there where people can easily, you know, see um, what how how to grow food more effectively. And then we can even... You know connect these different places together online by saying okay I live in here I live in this area and I want to find people that have this type of food well you can create a a platform that makes it easier to for people to say okay I have this type of food let's trade right Um, and you can do that you know um, you can scale it up a little bit so it reaches those rural areas but I wouldn't scale it up too far because this is another problem with technology that we keep using it keep trying to grow it but and we can see this with social media all the time once you once you grow to a certain scale right you lose the um you lose the the import you lose the the, the kind of um locality right because now you have people from all over the world or all over this region um interacting with people in this local area and yeah that's good for communication and stuff like that but if you're just trying to have a local service of like sh- who can you share with in this area? Then it kind of loses the the sauce, right? The point here is to build a community, and a community is a group of people who know each other, who can who who, who speak to each other on a regular basis, right? Who care about each other, and so you, we need to create technologies, you know, that foster that sort of relationship, but doesn't um, doesn't mistake large scale networking for community building cuz that's not the same thing. Being able to have a group of people who live all over the world is cool, but it's extremely hard to create a, a a community with that, right? And you can call it a community if you're like a writing community or whatever, but I'm talking about a real life, you know, physical community where right where if you want to, you know, drop your kids somewhere, right? To get somebody to watch your kids, you can do that. Because you know the people in that community, you know the people in that physical area, and so you have to make that distinction. I think with a lot of these technologies, say yes, we can scale up to a certain extent, but once you get certain past a certain geographic area, we should split it off, and that becomes its own, you know, kind of system, its own platform or or you know um, area, and you can kind of and yes, you can make those, you can still make those connections, you can still. You know, connect with somebody in another community, in another area, in order to trade or do whatever. But it should be clear in the design of the platform that this is a completely different geographic area. Um, so yeah, that's one of my ideas there. And then I went on. I kept thinking about okay, I kept thinking about how they were talking about connecting rural spaces with urban spaces. They were talking about how in there's a lot of rural areas, right? Especially here in Atlanta, we, and many of us know people who live in these, you know, country, in the country essentially, right? In the rural areas, and have a whole bunch of land, but they don't have enough people to work the land, right? Or they don't have enough people to um, figure out, or, or or to give like the food, right? They may, they produce a bunch of food, but you know, it kind of a lot of it goes bad, or they just don't have anybody to, to to pick it up and stuff like that, right? So what if you can? create, you know, trains that go from, you know, these rural areas into the urban areas. And furthermore, because um, I think the, the initial idea, right, people are thinking about is like trucks. And yeah, that, that could be a good starting point. Um, in fact, I think some people are talking about that, like, oh, we can have our own, you know, um, semi-truck type of business where, you know, these, these people in these trucks go down to the country pack up the, the, the food and bring it to the urban centers and um, help people who, who have that food insecurity. But the problem of course is that <laughs> um, now you have to figure out you know the maintenance and the, the logistics of, of truck operation and all this other stuff. And you have to question whether or not that's um, as scalable. And I, I, again when I say scalable I don't mean... I, here's why I should say. Sustainable. Yeah, the question whether that that's just that is sustainable, um, because you know, there's a whole bunch of problems with with trying to create a, create a truck, uh, a truck business, a freight you know operation. So what I was thinking is like, okay, how can we, how can we you know do something with trains? <laughs> and this is I know this is really counterintuitive because building an infrastructure for trains is way more intensive than building you know, infrastructure for trucks, right? Because trucks, you can just use the, the, the roads that's already available and go from there. But with trains, you have to build a whole new tracks and all this other stuff. However, my thought here is that with trains, you can scale it up to be more sustainable um, in terms of transit, right? You can turn a freight train operation into a transit operation. So that not only do you have truck drivers going back and forth from the country to the urban center and, you know, things like that, but you can all, if you build a truck or a train system, you can have that communication, right? You can have people who go out and live in the in the country areas, right? You can have people who go out and live in the rural areas, help, help um, you know, grow food or do whatever they need to do, and then bring all that food and people back to the urban centers, Right? And and vice versa, right? You can have this more fluid connection, this more fluid um system going back between the rural and the urban. And you can even spread out the people because now all along the way you can have different stops, right? Where people can then begin to build little towns or whatever. And so that will de densify the city, but at the same time as um have more people in these rural areas And connect the rural areas Back together with the city And if you're worried about things like You know um, Space or 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 pollution Or this that or, or sound Or you know noise and all this other stuff All of that is soluble right Because we have to remember One of the biggest things that leads to more You know let's say noise pollution Right is actually cars Right Yes, you might hear a lot of noise from trains because all the horns blasting and stuff like that. But we have technology today that can make trains way more efficient, and you don't have to have all these horns um, blaring all the time, right? And it, it's kind of momentary, right? They they I think they blow their horn when they coming coming across a crossing, so you can have these crossings, you know, at um, strategic areas. And you can have the train going faster. You can have like a maglev train maybe even. So I was thinking of like how can we create. How can we you know turn the old train tracks into new kind of mag lift trains. So you have much quicker you know travel between them. But that's you know a thought for later. But nonetheless like the point here is that. For a lot of a lot of uh, American history. You had that that was basically how these cities work in in fact that's how Atlanta worked, where you had this train go all the way around the city, and they had these, these little spokes you know going out into these different rural areas, so people could hop on the train and you could or you can send you know um products from any area into the city and out of the city and um that's how you know the belt that's that was what the belt line was initially you know was is like this 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 train um infrastructure. So yeah, I think we can like bring a lot of that back, and it would be very beneficial. Because what people don't know, even though America is like the the cars, you know, capital of the world, is that you know trains. Well, people should know this, but trains was you know the main um, engine of of kind of quote unquote progress in America for much of our history. And in fact, even up until the 1920s or 30s. Trains and transits and trolleys and stuff like that was the main way people got from one place to another. It was, it was due to the car lobbyists, right, that you started to phase away from these trains as tra- as transit options into cars because they saw more money in everybody having their own personal vehicle as opposed to people sharing in these trains, which does bring me to the next topic of of wealth areas, common. Public spaces and public utilities and all this other stuff. This is extremely important, right? Earlier this week, I also read this really great research, and I'm so glad somebody finally did this research. But that showed that 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 myth, right, that very popular idea that capitalism has brought the most people out of poverty is a freaking lie is is some dumb bullshit right it's not based on real data and in fact they point out how many people in the in the in the know right of archaeology of history of even economy knows this right? like <laughs> many of the the academics and stuff like that in this space know that that theory that idea is nonsensical right because when you look into history right no, I'm gonna do a quick thing into history, into long prehistory, but I'm gonna focus on like the last couple hundred years. But if you look into the long history of humanity, you'll see that people, you know, had time to do art. People had time to invent. People had time, like I mentioned before, you know, it took hours and hours and hours of a day to create a hand axe, right? To create all these things. Why in the in the world do you think people were creating these things if they were starved and and brutalized every day? If they were miserable every day? Like, just imagine, like when you're hungry, when you're you know, if you if you ever been starving, if you've ever been you know um, uh, terrorized or, or anxious on a regular basis, right? Are you going to sit down and paint? You know, so are you gonna sit down and and do some painstaking work to try and create like this this idea you have in your head for this thing that may or may not work? And like, you're not gonna waste a, a ton of your time and energy that you don't have, you know, creating things. That's the whole point. Like, <laughs> one of the amazing th- one of the things that made humans so amazing is that we're able to figure out how to you know dedicate less time towards uh, um, getting our energy me- needs met, right, and we were able to find more time for being idle, for being social. And so, it, it's really it doesn't even make sense in the in the span of evolution of human evolution to say that you know we were we were always starving and impoverished and living these miserable you know lives, but. What this study focuses on is that in the last 14, 400 years, since the 1600s, we can actually see, we can actually measure, right, people's nutrients by looking at their genetics, looking at their, you know, their height and stuff like that, height data, because apparently height data goes really well with measuring um, a, a population's um, uh, general, you know, kind of nutritional value, general. Um, health, right, because the more nutrition um, people have, and again, this is on a population scale, this doesn't necessarily stand up for an individual by individual basis. This doesn't mean that just, if you're taller, you're healthier. This is, it's not the same thing. (laughs) But on a population basis, right, when the population is is taller, that typically means they have access to more nutrition, right, they have access to more of these things. And they actually see that from the sixteen hundreds onwards, the the height fell. <laughs> right, people got shorter as capitalism got um, more popular. Right, why is that? It's pretty obvious if you're paying attention to what I've been saying. It's because capitalism privatizes the commonwealth. Capitalism privatizes all the wealth that people already had. Remember. For most of human history Especially, you know, the history of America Right People were able to Meet their own needs Through their own um, Land, right People had, you know, their their own farming area Right And even in cities um, In the early cities, right People still had the little farm area Or they can have ready access to You know, food and, and resources And all this other stuff, right And um, other stuff being like crafting, textiles, all this stuff in which which they could trade for food. So, um, yeah, in the early, you know, kind of American culture, right? You have this space where where most people had like the commonwealth where, yeah, you didn't have much private property for yourself. You might just have this little little house, um, maybe even a little shack, if you want to call it, um, based on like today's time. It might be a cabin or something like that. Um, or if, if you live in the city, it was like this little city area. Um, it's a little... Like, the idea of a city to, to, in the 1600s is very different from today. The city would be like, you know, what you might see in a small town today. Like a very small town where you have like these three to four story buildings and stuff like that. And that's like the, the, the tallest building in the in the town. Yeah, that, that is, the you know, the city. <laughs> it's quaint by today's standards, but it's important to note that it was still comfortable. Right, and it was comfortable because you didn't have to, you didn't spend all your time in your house. Your house was only there for you to you know eat and or not even eat half the time, but like sleep and you know use the bathroom or something like that. Some small like little leisure you know personal activities, but most of the time was spent outside, and I don't mean mean just in the fields or something. I mean like in the the uh, the Commonwealth areas. For instance, if you wanted to go eat, right? You can go eat in a public, in a a pub, right? In a a public area where other people are eating. You can socialize with other people and all this other stuff, right? You can, you know, um, you have these, like, town areas or or town kind of cafeterias where people can bring food together and make a potluck or whatever on a regular basis, right? You have these, um, uh, you know... Crafting areas, I guess you can say. I forgot, like smithies and stuff like that, right? Where people are making or you, you, these cobblers and stuff like that. We have people come together in this in this area where people we have these different machines and um, like low scale machines, right? I'm talking about like little, like a little wheel or whatever you call them. I forget what you call them, but my point here is that you you have these areas where people can come together and do things together, right? And furthermore, um, this is. You can see this really beautifully if you look at things, even in the in the in the 1900s, right? In the early 1800s, before the onset of cars, you can see if you look at a road, you see a bunch of people walking. You see if, if you have ever seen like these black and white images where you have these super crowded roads, and then you have these like little horse and buggies, and you have these trolleys, you know, going down. This is more reminiscent of how America fun- functioned, in many much of the world, right? Even in the throes of capitalism. Because you still had a very large common area, right? Where the streets were most of the streets were, were for the for, were for everybody, right? You can walk, you can you can take a horse, you can take a trolley, whatever. And it seems chaotic, yes, right? But you still had less accidents. Why? Because of course, there's people just walking. Like you're not gonna ram somebody going 70 miles an hour when you're walking, right? So you're not gonna have these accidents. So it looks it looks chaotic, but it's no more chaotic than like a shopping mall, right? So it's 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 contained chaos in a way, and it's beautiful in some ways, right? Because you have all these people just moving around, able to socialize on a regular basis. But then when you have uh, the production of cars. And the scaling of of cars, you had this idea that the roads are for cars and not for people. In fact, they they invented the idea of jaywalking, not because it was actually illegal or anything like that, but because cars kept hitting people. All right, because not only were cars you know much faster, much more dangerous, but they were much much less <laughs> predictable. Remember, in the onset of cars for the first. I don't know, a couple decades, cars were extremely dangerous, right, they would regularly, you know, have all these sorts of problems, like we didn't, we haven't figured out all these problems that cars, that we figured out now even, even, even though today you still have a lot of these issues um, back then you had way more issues with vehicles, right so Uh, You even had this these cartoons where they depicted cars as like demons because they had all these terrible issues. You had them um, the the gaskets, you know, blowing out, and all this all this um, emissions coming out, and all this crap, you know. It was it was disgusting. It was terrible, but nonetheless, these cars right caused a lot of the uh, traffic issues. They were speeding across this uh, these. Public spaces where there were a lot of people walking, and so they would hit people. But, and of course, because the, the only ones who could afford cars in the early days were rich people, they get away with it. They say, "Oh, the, the 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 this peasant was in my way, right?" <laughs> and because they were rich, they could you know pay off whatever fines. They could you know hire whatever lawyers and or to not get fined or whatever. They can have their way, and so of course they you know were able to. Um, create these laws that made walking on the street illegal, right? Now, now we call that jaywalking. <laughs> so that's where that concept came from. And again, I say all this because it's it's relevant. It shows you the the how a lot of our commonwealth was stolen, right? Was manipulated, was chiseled away by private corporations, by privatized individuals, by privatized services. And you see this trend in pretty much every aspect of our lives from the roads that we we walk on right where now roads are for cars and not for people instead of the other way where it should be for people right you see this with um, public spaces um, public parks and everything like that Um, before most areas that were not strictly for you know a specific purpose were for the public now the only public areas are areas that are designed or that are designated for the public before uh, you know you had these places where you know anybody could go in and you can do a potluck together stuff like that you can cook together or you know you can at least eat together but now of course these private establishments are you know mostly fast food restaurants or really expensive restaurants with this that, and the other all right before you had you know same thing for entertainment It's same thing for you know all these uh, pretty much every every other aspect of life so (laughs) um, it's good to, to know these things it's good to remember these things because that shows us that just because the way we live today seems you know so unshakable seems so natural in a way doesn't mean it should be like that or has to be like that and in fact Now that we have all these types of technologies, it should be even easier to have to share with one another. It should be even easier to have these um, public commonwealth areas. So, yeah, I think it's really important for us to develop these things. So, I've spoken about this many times in other podcasts, but I think it would be really cool for us to, you know, take our neighborhoods. And begin taking taking down houses we can start with houses that are not being used because in every neighborhood you have houses that are not being sold or have not been sold or are are, you know um, are constantly in between you know uh, what you call it Um, residents and things like that so we can start there come together as a community and say okay you know what which how can we take this and turn it into you know a local store Right where anybody in the neighborhood can share what, share whatever they have at first they can just sell it but I think it will be even better if people think about how they can set up a sort of bartering system or even a system of favors or even nothing at all but like just put things up and, and people can come and take it um, but whatever that, that community is comfortable starting with, they should start with where you take land or, or property or whatever that's not being used that's, that's blighted Or whatever And you turn it into um, community centers Where people can provide services Can share their stories Can share their products um, Whatever With that community Because I think what you'll see is that A huge part of why These neighborhoods Specifically these subdivisions Right Feel so empty Right Feel so non-communal It's because there there is no opportunity to really get to know your neighbors, there's no natural incentive, there's no natural environmental, you know, um, pathway to connect with other people who live in your geographic area, and this is a clear difference from some some areas that's like a really small town or a, or a, a really comfortable urban area, right? The people I was talking about in Atlanta, they live in this area of Atlanta where it's still fairly communal. Right? Even though there's these these houses and there's not many um apartments or anything like that. There's a few, but not many. There's apparently there's a lot of these people know each other. Right? They they regularly talk about how they can walk down the street and they can wave they know who that is, they know who that is. Even though a lot of them actually haven't lived there for a long time. Right? Cause like I said before, a lot of the older residents were pushed out. So there's only a handful of Residents who have been there for decades. Most of the residents at that community center, at that, that event I was talking about, only have been there for a couple of years at most, right? For like four or five years at most. Most of them for like a year or two. But they have been in other communities that are fairly similar, right? Where they experience this sort of the same problems. So it shows you that there's, oh, goodness, there's still this opportunity and there's still this ability and this capacity to build this community even in areas where it's extremely you know constrained where it's extremely you know where you're struggling against the cops and against you know uh, drug addicts and you know these these quote-unquote criminals right It's, it's good to remember that many of these people are just people right they're in these different situations because they feel like there's no other way or they feel like they're stuck or whatever right whatever their their reasons are they have these reasons and if you can build a a space where people feel comfortable talking to these people where people where people feel comfortable talking to each other then you can build that community that communal space so yeah well i'd love to see starting starting there take these um areas again these uh buildings or even just random spaces in between like right now i'm looking at a space that's like in between different properties, but it's it's because it's in between properties, is not really taken care of, um, or sometimes it is. I don't know. It depends if people want to do it. And that's another thing, right? I don't want to rehash this whole thing again, but the the entire idea of the tragedy of the commons um, was really a tragedy for the commons, right? It wasn't that the commons were dilapidated because nobody wanted to take care of it. Um, who used it but more so because of Privatization because you know private Organizations began to try and take Slicing segments of the commons, And they only left over They only left you know the The the, the, the worst parts And so um, People who were you know Couldn't afford to privatize anything Were now stuck with the scraps And so yeah nobody wanted to take care of that Because it was you know the, the worst areas You know it didn't it was Hard to access and all this other stuff so this is what you commonly see today. Like look around your subdivision, you may see some areas that are like in between, you know, properties and that look, you know, off, that look terrible, or or is is where people dump trash or you know, this, that, and the other. It's it's that same issue. Right? It's not because nobody cares about common areas, it's because nobody thinks it's their area, nobody thinks they have access to it. It's because it's just the scraps, right? If you, on the other hand, open up the property, open up the space, so that you say, okay, everybody in this community is in charge of this area. Everybody in this community owns this space, right? Then everybody will take ownership for it. Everybody will want to do something, or at least most people, right, will want to do something to make sure the space is kept up. The tragedy of the commons is one of the, another one of those terrible lies, terrible myths that... Capitalism is based on. They have no actual, under, base, they have no actual you know, foundation. Or rather the foundation is completely different. And capitalism just twisted it. <laughs> in order to get people to uh, accept. You know, this, this terrible um, violation of their natural freedoms. So yeah. Take spaces. Turn it into community centers. And as you're turning it into community centers. Think about all the different ways. In which you can help people connect with each other. Right, I like to imagine um, community centers that have technology labs, where you have like I was looking at this video this morning, where they're showing like the 20 different uh, gears or or mechanisms, um, 20 different like you know engineering mechanisms, whatever, through Lego pieces. And it was such a fascinating video. I was ended up watching it, um, watching the whole thing, because at first it was just I was just scrolling through YouTube. And I saw it, I was like, huh, what's this? Lego pieces and you had like, these little gears and they're showing these different things. But I was thinking like, what if you had you know, this sort of thing in the community center, right? We have these like really interesting videos or just or real life projects where somebody uh, like myself is putting together like at least this, this really cool Lego um, situation um, showing like a real uh, gear movement box or whatever the engineering terms are um and other people who walk in are now like oh wh- wh- what's that and then th- boom that that gives you an opportunity to teach people to to uh teach people not only what this is but now teach people how how they can implement it right cuz now you can figure out okay oh wow is that that how that's how a car engine works right so how might we be able to use this to create a local little little car in our neighborhood right how can we, you know, take the little scraps of metal and, um, um, you know, take little pieces from different people's cars that nobody's using because everybody, a lot of people have cars that they don't use um, that's broken or whatever and they're, you know, slowly repairing or they just li- leave it there. I'm, I'm sure everybody has some folks in their neighborhood who, ha- who, who has these things, right? So you can take these different pieces and make a little vehicle that services the people in that neighborhood. So now, if you want to, you know, little if 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 old lady May wants to go over to you know Valerie's house or whatever or Uncle Joe's house, you can put him in this little trolley, <laughs> this little trolley you all made and, and tested to make sure it's safe, of course. But and then get them, you know, to the other place. So now you have more people moving around the neighborhood because before maybe maybe they were too old, maybe they felt like it wasn't safe to walk outside because you had all these cars flying by everywhere. So now, if you have you know instead of these. Um, cars flying everywhere. You have these these trolleys, right, going at a slower speed. So now you have more people outside because it feels safer, right? So this is just you know kind of one example there. But my point here is that in this community center, it it, it shouldn't be, you know, like a little store, right? Because I think today we we've we've eroded I- our idea for what a center looks like, for what a even what a store looks like. We have this idea that it's a static thing, where things are on the shelf right and you just take it off the shelf and check it out right there's no communication about where this thing came from what that thing is you know um um uh what you call it um negotiating you know the price and stuff like that there's no communication but there should be right it creates opportunity for socializing creates opportunity for learning for growth for connection so in this community center even if you have some people, you know, who who, who crafted, you know, um, a new thing Like my mom loves to craft cups and, you know, um, all sorts of things really too Like welcoming boards and, you know, um, things you can put on your tree, your, your Christmas tree Or even things you can put for Halloween or for anything, right? She, she just loves designing different things, right? So she could put things in this area and other people would look at it and say, like, oh wow, huh? How did you create that? Or what was, the, what was the idea behind this, you know? Or can you create like a custom version for me? And then you can have this conversation about it, right? Because even if you can... Let me back up a second. Because like if it's just there on the shelf, you might think, oh, I just want to pick it up, right? And you can, you can do that. But to supercharge this, right? When you put it on the shelf or you put it in this place, you put it in a display case with the name. You know, this is this is made by this person. They live here. Right? And maybe, maybe you can put a, bur- a blurb or a picture or something like that, and that, that is one level above. So now it's, just not, it's not just a product, it's something somebody in your neighborhood made. And now the person can be curious to say, okay, this is not just a cup, this is something, oh, uh, you know, this person made. My mom's name is Javelin, so I'm just using her name. Love her name. <laughs> so this is something, you know, Javelin used. Javelin made. Like, oh, I remember Javelin, I've seen that face before, right? So now you have a connection. All right, you have a connection with this product that you were just going to pick up before. And now you can go, okay, let me go find Javelin. Let me go ask her. <laughs> All right? And so now you can create that 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 communication. Now let's go a step above. What if you can, you know, have a a, a, a like a ring doorbell by the the not not exactly ring doorbell cuz that the thing is very large, but something like a ring doorbell, well where you have a product, you have a name next to it and all this other stuff. But now you put like a little like I'm gonna use ring doorbell for now. You put a ring doorbell by the product or behind the product. And so now when somebody picks it up, right, they can activate this doorbell and now you can have a live conversation right there. And like, oh boom. You like like if they want to talk to, you know, Javelin right there, like oh, I see Javelin made this. I wanna I'm curious about how they how they did it but they're in the center right now, and maybe they might go and find you later, but maybe they won't, right? So instead of having to have that guesswork, you can have it right there. So the person is curious, they can boom, hit that bell, and now you have a live video feed. Say, hey, Javelin, how'd you make this? I'm I'm at the community center, blah, 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 blah. right? So boom, you can have that conversation right then and there. So I, I hope you can see where I'm going here with this, right? Is that you can turn a community center into not just like some, some store where people can sell their stuff, but a place where people can connect with other people in their neighborhood. All right? And then at the same time, you can use technology, right, to facilitate this communication, to empower this communication. And that's what makes technology so magical. All right? It's not just technology for technology's sake but for the sake of communicating for connecting for empowering human relationships human abilities and this is just one li- small little small little example of this right you can you can probably go further like what if you can um you can uh, customize your own cup right there and then 3d print it right so my mom like who loves design things she has fibromyalgia. So she can't do it too much. <laughs> right? And she, she would... You know... When she gets a big order... She's down there in her little crafting room. You know... All night. I'm like... Mom, you gotta go to sleep. You get, you can't be up all night. She's like... Oh, I gotta get this done. She loves doing it. But it hurts. You know? And it sucks because she... She, she wants to do more of this. But she literally cannot. <laughs> Alright? And she would push herself... Push herself... And just cause herself more pain. So what if... All she had to do was create a prototype, right? You can create... She can have fun doing the, the fun parts of, of creating, you know, a little prototype. And then you upload it into a 3D printing machine. And then the machine can print out the rest. Like, anytime somebody wants more copies, boom, they can print it out right there. Right? And if they still wanted, you know, some, some handcrafting crafting um, stuff on there, they can schedule some time with her. Right? And so now... And this is going even a step above that now you can even you know you can have this system where you have like her 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 health like kind of hooked up to this and I know it sounds a little crazy don't get me wrong don't get me wrong I'm just throwing out ideas here you're not saying it's necessarily a good idea but it could be maybe right you can hook up her health to this machine that that schedules her time right and so because the problem is like if you just schedule time right it's it's a it's a toss up whether or not your your body will actually be good at this time. Like if you say, okay, I'm usually available from two to five, right, or two to ten or whatever. But today I feel terrible, you know, blah 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 blah. Then you have to go into this. you're gonna have to log into this system to you know um, uh, block out the time again. If somebody scheduled time, you got to reschedule. And all the while you already feel terrible because your body's not not you know blah blah blah, right? My point here is that. Today's technologies are too static, right? They're too, um, um, they're too, what do you call it? Like you have to, the technology uses you rather than you using the technology, right? They're too top down, right, instead of bottom up. And so now oftentimes you have to acclimate yourself to how this technology works. You have to learn how the technology works. You have to do all this stuff in order to use technology to its best extent. Oh gosh, somebody got in an accident. I think I just heard something. Might check it out in a bit, but and I'm almost done, anyways. But um, the problem is with that is is, you know, technology. You should technology should empower you, right? You shouldn't have to have to learn how to use technology. Technology should know how to learn to learn how to best fit into your life and how empower how to empower everything that you want to do, right? So for this thing in this community center, what if you can match up, you know, the schedule or whatever to um, my mom's like health situation? And so now when she's in pain, it automatically blocks it out. So you can't do it. And it, and it, if she wants, right, she can say, oh, yeah, let people know when I'm in pain. Right. And so that way, when she's in pain and her schedule is blocked out, it, it will say, oh, she's suffering from this t- sort of pain, this, that and the other. Right. And so now people can say, oh, let me go help her out. Right? Because she probably needs help with the dishes today, or she needs help with this, that today, or maybe she's missing this medicine, whatever. And so now people can come, you know, on their own initiative and say, Oh, I saw that you were in pain. I tried to buy your cup, you know, blah, 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 blah. You can have this conversation, but now you, you have facilitated actual empathy between people, right? Because now people can't just ignore it. They can't just say, Oh, I didn't know, right? Because now it shows you that you did know, right? Um, and again, all of this is up to choices. All of this is up to whether or not, you know, uh, my mom wants to share that information or anybody wants to share that information. But the point here is that you have the opportunity to do so. I can't tell you how many times my mom has been suffering from some sort of pain, um, but she, she, she committed to doing something, right? And she's going to do it. And I'll tell her, oh, no, you need to tell these people, you know, you can't right now you have to deal with this stuff and she she feels bad she doesn't want to tell these people right she doesn't want to you know she doesn't want to be a quitter she or she doesn't want to you know um um not do this thing because she already feels terrible that she's invalidated by this pain she already feels she already doesn't want to just you know depend or like lean on this on this stuff because and that's what many people don't realize is that people who are disabled right don't it's not like they enjoy being disabled. it's not like they enjoy you know laying about <laughs> um you know um uh, as a victim of their of their of their uh issue and a lot of people a lot it's not just my mom i've seen many people like this right a lot of people want to be doing more, but they can't and now they're they're often suffering in silence or they're trying to push through all this other stuff and it just makes the situation worse. So instead, what if you can have this Again, like the system where you can tell people Right? You don't have to tell people And this is another This is another tricky thing This is <laughs> What makes this thing so important Is that when people are suffering Right? They don't want to tell people right then and there Because a lot of people, right? Again, they feel uh, embarrassed Or they feel all these sorts of things And they don't want to say They don't want to share their, their their pain But if you can see the pain Right? Now you have the you have the, you can have the initiative to, to go and say, "Oh, I see that you're, you're, you know, you're going through something here. Here's what I can do to help you out, right?" It, it flips the um, relationship here, flips the communi- communication. So instead of you know the the person suffering have to suffer more in order to ask for help, other people who see that they're suffering can just um, volunteer their help, and that is usually a way better system. Right? That's how we evolved. That's why we evolved to like cry and to laugh and to you know to show pain and for our eyes to go do certain things. It's because it allows, you know, the, the, the receiving party, allows the other people, the community, right, to come up around the person who is suffering and help them out without the person suffering having to do even more. And that's what we're missing a lot in today's technology. So if we can build that technology, if we can build that back into our technology, that would make a huge difference. So you have these community centers, right, that are not just areas for people to trade resources and services and all this other stuff, but also for them to be more empathetic, to see what people are going through. Without putting all their business out there, without having to ask, they could just, you know, When they're feeling good, say, "Oh yeah, it will be cool if people come to me when I'm, you know, suffering or whatever." (laughs) Uh, Again, it will be more tactful than this, but you get my point. And so, when they actually are in that situation, people can be like, "Oh wow, I see, you know, you need this, right?" And you can, again, you can customize this. So you can decide when and where you want to share, you know, this source of information. You can even decide what, how much information you want to share. Maybe you want to share your whole condition, or maybe you only want to share that. Hey, during certain days, I just want this. I just want some ice cream, or I just want this medicine, or I just want, you know, a hug, or whatever, right? Or or I just want quiet, <laughs> All right? And so either way, you can you can put that information in there, and now people looking can see. Oh, they just want quiet today. Everybody, you know. Leave them alone. Everybody, you know, go away. Or maybe this just want help with the with the dishes or with the laundry. Somebody go in there. Oh, I I I'll take care of the laundry today. All right. So, <laughs> to recap, I think it'd be incredible if we take areas in our neighborhood, and maybe even we can start with our own houses. If you feel you know uncomfortable, you know, um, trying to band together to take you know some some. Landlord's house. It doesn't even live in your neighborhood. But if you feel uncomfortable doing that, you know, because a lot of these landlords aren't even people, right? Like, aren't even like they're they're companies, they're they're organizations, they're BlackRock, they're <laughs> an entire investment firm who comes and you know tries to uh, buy up a bunch of property. But even if you feel uncomfortable doing that, right, you can start with your own house. You can say, hey, I'm gonna in my garage. You can put whatever you want to put. You know, if you want to share this, that, and the other, put it here, right? And then you can start. Bringing in all these different ideas and technologies and all this other stuff to empower what people are doing in your community. All right, Maybe you notice that people need help with their laundry a lot. So you can figure out a way to create a local laundry service. Maybe you, you see that people have problems getting from one place to another. So you can figure out a better transit um, thing for people in your community. Maybe you see that people need help cooking. Or people need help cleaning. Or people need help with whatever, right? Or maybe you see that people have a certain type of product that they're doing, right? Maybe people, a lot, there's a lot of people that want to farm. There's a lot of people that want to um, grow gardens. There's a lot of people that want to, you know, do cool technology stuff, right? A lot of people that want to play games, whatever. <laughs> the point is that you, you have once you figure out what people in your community want to do, Right Or are doing or whatever You can create solutions around that You can create centers around that You can create services around that And then you can connect people together Like we we're Like we're so good at like, we, we, like what makes us actually You know so awesome as a species So Yeah I think there's more I want to say But I might end it for here uh, Let me see if there's anybody else Trying to message me if not, I'll make another segment Just keep keep this rolling. But, yeah, for, for, for this segment Just think about how You can make your Your community more communal You can make your neighborhood more communal Even if you live in an apartment complex, right? There's probably things that you can still do To make it more communal, right? Utilize those um, Public areas that they have Or utilize your own apartment To do these sorts of things Or whatever type of software that they might have to uh, facilitate communication. Because a lot of organizations are finding this out, right? Uh, Again, a lot of organizations, private organizations, are realizing that communities is extremely important. So they're creating tools around it. They're creating platforms around it. But they're creating the platform from a top-down perspective. Oh, here's a service that we can provide that will get us profit. And then here's how we can make it profitable for us. And then they try to fit in the community stuff in between that. And, of course, you have some people who are, you know, more open to this community aspect. But they get bought out by the people who are more profit-driven. And so you always have this downward um, slope of really cool ideas being, you know, pushed into this profit, profit-seeking profit behavior. Because that's just how our environment is structured. So, yeah, think about these things. Okay. And lastly, I wanted to uh, kind of touch on some ideas I've been having in terms of religion so my mom likes to listen to gospel music a lot now like I said before earlier on the other episodes I was raised SDA seven-day Adventist in a Haitian church so very very familiar with you know a lot of Christianity stuff um, read a lot of the Bible myself <laughs> read the entire New Testament mm. front to back mm. multiple times um, probably half of the old testament maybe not half but uh, a little bit less than half of the old testament um I'm very familiar with the bible all this other stuff and a lot of religion stuff um studied a lot of these things growing up right it's very familiar to me but now that i've <laughs> come out of all that right especially now that i've i'm having this you know um anarchist kind of thought And how I think about the world as a matter of, you know, egalitarianism versus hierarchy and things like that. I'm starting to see how so many elements of religion is inherently hierarchical. And I've known that for a long time. But I I tried to figure out, as I was listening to her hearing, like, the gospel music that I remember singing in choir (laughs) when when I was younger. I'm thinking about... You know how my how like people like to say humans are inherently hierarchical and I, I disagree because we can see in a lot of archaeological data and in evolution and in other animals that hierarchy is more of a thing that manifests right as a as a result of certain environmental conditions and certain you know cultural proclivities and things like that, right? It's not so simple as like it's as, as as some inherent aspect. Nonetheless, When you listen to gospel, (laughs) gospel music, and when you listen to a lot of these religious ideas, of course you see this extremely hierarchical, you know, kind of element to it, this foundation to it even. And so you have to wonder, is hierarchy foundational in these religious texts and these religious ideas? Or, and this is something I've been thinking, is it more so that hierarchy is a sort of Byproduct, right, of what actually is foundational about these religions. And I say that because this is gospel music where you hear um, things like, you know, oh, I sacrifice myself to you, you know, I lay down myself for you, and you can do whatever, right? Or the only reason I can do all this amazing stuff is thanks to you, right? Um, or, you know, I'm so thankful, so grateful for all the everything you do, blah, 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 right? Um, these are not the exact lyrics, but these are. Basically, the ideas. There's multiple of these gospel songs. A lot of them, right? I like this. So that got me thinking. Maybe it's not that people are inherently hierarchical or trying to be hierarchical in these religious texts. Maybe it's more so that we're going after this inherent desire, right, to believe in something bigger than ourselves, and to be humble, right, to be humility, to be. Yeah, to express humility, to be humble, to express gratitude and all these other things. Because those things we actually do recognize as more foundational than hierarchy, right? We can see in a lot of evolutionary kind of theories and ideas and all this other stuff, you see the importance of, you know, gratitude. You see the importance of uh, reconciliation. You see, you see the importance of, of awe, right? There's even this really cool um, video where they put a GoPro camera on a monkey, on a, um, I forgot which kind of monkey, but one of these monkeys in like, I think it was like Greece or whatever. Um, and they filmed them, right, going about their lives. And almost every day, these monkeys would <laughs> climb onto this very high rock and stare into the, the horizon, right, um, during golden hour, whenever, the, during the sunset, every time. And even sometimes, you would even hear the monkeys almost say like a, oh, like a, oh, <laughs> type, of, type of thing, right? They have this emotion. Monkeys, right? And, I, <laughs> and that sort of thing just makes me realize like we have this deep, deep propensity for or this deep respect you know, for things that are bigger than ourselves. And I, I think, I, I would love to see some research on this But I think that The more conscious an, an animal is The more aware of the, the world outside of itself it is And it seems like a simple idea But I think we can test this by looking at How many other animals with some level of consciousness Or at least some level of, you know Awareness, self-awareness Right, stop and stare at things that are just awe, just like a like a sunset, right? How many animals, you know, can we can we kind of see or can can we conjecture, right? (laughs) Because we can't say for sure, but can we estimate that they have some sort of awe? Feeling some sort of awe, inspiration, some sort of emotion around being awed. Alright, If we can see more of this, then I think we can make the conclusion, or at least you know, begin to make a conclusion that we as humans have a deeper, a very, very deep um, yearning and respect for things that are bigger than ourselves, and in fact that. Could be the more a more conclusive and a more helpful understanding as to why people fall for hierarchy, as to why we develop so many hierarchical institutions and fall for so many cults of personalities and you know allow ourselves to create these stories that result in really terrible <laughs> ideas um, while masquerading them as like, you know, is it's for the best, right? Because I'm thinking that it's not that we care about hierarchy. And I say this not only because of my own propensities against hierarchy, but because we see even in the midst of these religions, like I grew up in the church, all right? I could tell you a lot of people do not like authorities, right, even in the midst of a church, even in the midst of you know the, the most fundamentalist uh, christianity you know fundamentalist religions, you see a pattern where yes, you have some people and a lot of people even will 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 do everything they can to listen to an authority figure. But the minute that authority figure goes path beyond a certain invisible threshold, invisible line, right? Or the minute you know a certain person has a certain you know um, idea in their mind, right? And again, it doesn't have to be an anti-authoritarian idea. It could just be, oh, this is this is not a good leader, right? Here is a better leader, or. You know, why did they say this when last time they said that, that right? Or, you know, oh, I, I I, you know, was reading the text and I, I learned this. Why did they say that, right? It's just natural curiosities, right? And all these other things. But, of course, the, the authority figure would see these things as, oh, you're questioning my authority. When in reality, is, is really not. But it's a great that's a great argument, you know, to get people scared, to get people like, oh no, 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 I'm not you know, (laughs) and these things but the point here is that I think people are more aware more akin, more um, they're paying more attention to small moments of Awe, of gratitude of things to be humble for things to be grateful for right they're paying attention to these different things and it just so happens that hierarchies that authority figures that cult of personalities create you know a lot of space for this or create a lot of moments for this because think about it when a, when a person who was really talented does something really cool you're like whoa right it's beyond you, you have this feeling of your are you're, you're dealing with something that you never thought you dealt with, you you could deal with before or never thought could happen or whatever right like it's it's something that's beyond mm-hmm. what you're currently what your current idea of the world is right and this goes for some people who are very skilled or even people that's not particularly or very skilled at something that's not particularly you know physical right people are very skilled at oration skills that you know just convincing people right they can get you believing in an idea that is bigger than themselves that is that is so incredible and that's that same feeling right this is I think this is a key reason why people get caught up in cults of personality right it's not necessarily because oh they want to be sub sub um, sub sublimated and you know submissive and all this other stuff but because they see something they they Perceive something that's awe-inspiring, right? And when you see something that's bigger than yourself, you, you uh, any most rational people, most you know people would want to be, you know, would want to express some gratitude for. We want to express some humility, right? It's like recognizing how big you know the mountain is, or how big the uh, the sun is, or, or you know how amazing this tree is, or whatever, right? When you recognize a certain level of complexity, a certain level of um power even, right? Power is another thing. Right? I think a big reason why people get are so respectful of power is because of this awe inspiring feeling. It's not that people want to be sublimated by power, it's not that people want to be, you know, um to follow this 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 you know this thing and, and to have this Power and all this other stuff, but because they're so they're so amazed by something, so yeah, I'm not sure where else to go with that, but that's just a thought I, I was having this morning, and I, and I want to pursue more of it. I'd like to hear, you know, what you all think, what other people think about this sort of thing. Um, I think that may be a big thing there. And maybe I'm just, you know, making excuses. Maybe I just don't want to believe that people want to be sublimated by certain powers and stuff like that. Um, but no, I, I do think there's a lot here to to uh, consider, and it's again testable, right? There, there. I think there are tests we can do for this, and there, there's data we can find, and um, all that stuff. I guess the next question would be like how do you make it how, how would it be falsifiable right I'm not sure yet like you would have to create a more a what do you call it a theory actual theory that is more you know set up than just a bunch of ideas I have so far but this is more so something for people to, to think about and to kind of Turn into a good uh, testable hypothesis that can then be. That then we can figure out like what makes this falsifiable. My my initial ideas there is maybe you know things like um, look at look at the rates of people I don't know um, or maybe look at what what happens in your brain. Oops, excuse me. What happens in your brain when you are awed versus when you have some level of fear or some level of like submission, you know. When people look at authorities, maybe we can figure out what parts of their brain lights up. You know, is there a part of the brain that 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 uh, relates to awe? Or is there a part of the brain that relates to fear, that relates to, that lights up a certain way when you look at different, when we look at authority figures, when we look at a different authority figures, you know, how does that work? Different authoritarian ideas How does that, you know, light up your brain Stuff like that Maybe the, maybe the, that could be a good way of figuring out You know <laughs> What I'm saying here <laughs> But um Either way I think I, I, I was having these ideas Of like Creating an institution um, That's more bottom up Not top down, but what and what I mean by that is like a, a more of a like a like I was saying earlier a a town hall type of thing or a city um a neighborhood center type of thing where people can just come if they want to and you could talk about things that whatever the people that want to talk about and one of the things I figure people could talk about is like oh let's listen to some gospel songs and then break them down. <laughs> right why why do you think people came up with this song like why what what are these ideas that they're you know singing about, and you know how might these ideas relate to other elements of our lives right how might where where do these ideas come from, what are different manifestations of these ideas in our lives you know, and how can we kind of restructure this song or these ideas into a less authoritarian kind of idea there, less authoritarian? kind of concept, a more um, open concept, right? And that may be blasphemous to some people, but for others, I think that would be very, very um, enlightening. That would be very, very beneficial. And I think, you know, um, people need this, right? This is a, this is the reason why religion is so powerful and so popular because I think a lot of people want that sort of wisdom and want that sort of um, awe feeling and maybe even yeah maybe they do want that submission as well right because a good point to this to is that submission is not necessarily bad right people want to submit to people they trust to people they believe to be that they can be vulnerable around in fact a lot of, a huge part of what makes people social and what makes social relationships so powerful is that you can be vulnerable. You can show your vulnerabilities and because of that you can feel even more connected. So I don't want I don't want to, you know, make it seem like I I, I think being submissive is a bad thing or anything like that. However, it is really important to recognize that being submissive in a space where you think you have that ability to submit, right? Where you think you have that safety. When in actuality people in power are just going to abuse that, right, or just going to use that in order to, you know, get whatever they want then that that, that leaves a, a very dangerous you know um, issue and I think this is another reason why religion is so powerful is because people in the church you know, feel like they have that safety that they feel like they can be vulnerable they can submit themselves to this higher power, but <laughs> regardless of whether or not you believe in a higher power, in reality you have these people, right? These pastors and other people who are there looking at you submitting, and who they themselves may not be, you know, submissive. May not be um, true believers, or may not even care, or or even worse, maybe they think they are the 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 mouth. All right, of the higher power. Maybe they think they are the ones granted power by this higher power. And because of that, they think that they can now make use of your submission, that you are submitting to them. And this is a huge reason why you see so much abuse in places like the church. Because these people, right, these pastors, these people in power, think you're submitting to them. Because oh me as this pastor you know I was given this power this figure this this position by God right by whatever and because of that they can abuse it and many people will justify this abuse would think oh that's what you know should happen in fact you can, you can see this in pretty much any you know fundamentalist uh, thing or you not even just fundamentalist but almost every church almost every religion probably everyone has not just a bunch of stories but it's it's almost a norm where people have been abused by people in their church and nobody said anything about it even if people knew nobody would say anything about it because oh that's just how it should be right and it, 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 it takes a certain amount of uh, I don't know stuff to get to a point where people feel like oh this is it no this can't be good right it takes a certain amount of you know go, going past a certain invisible threshold a certain invisible line in the sand where suddenly people are like you know what no this is maybe this person isn't you know given by god maybe this person was actually the devil right and then they just flip the whole thing <laughs> but the problem with a lot of religions is that it it's so ambiguous Right, doing one day you can say, "Oh, yeah, this person is a man of God." You know, they were everything. They were <laughs> doing their best, is doing what God says and doing God's plan and all this other stuff. And then the very next, they can say, "Oh, it was the devil all along. <laughs> it was the devil doing this and all this other stuff." So it can it can justify any type of behavior. All right, you can easily justify that behavior, and that makes it very, very problematic. <laughs> And in fact, I was I was reading another really really great um, thing, this article by uh, three times wiser. He was talking about how in this book they were they were showing how many psychologists recognize that the brain is not in charge, or like rather the conscious mind is not in charge. Right? You may have heard of this. I've, I've talked about it myself before in other ways, but like the idea that the the, the conscious mind is like the is like a, a person on an elephant. Right? The unconscious mind is the elephant. It's doing most of the work, doing all these other things. And the person, the conscious mind is like the person on top. And they're just barely doing it. <laughs> they're not really doing much. They're kind of just there. Um, and they pretend that they're, that they're guiding the elephant where it should go. But really, the elephant goes wherever it wants to go. And maybe, yeah, you do have some say, maybe you tug on the ears of the elephant, try to get it in, to go in one direction or another. But... Most of the, 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 the functions of your brain, of your body, of your existence is the elephant, right? And co- the conscious mind is really just being aware of what the elephant is doing. But this particular book was actually talking about, um, was, was a different way of thinking about this. Was saying that most people think of their conscious mind, of themselves, as the president, the king, right? The person that executes, that makes decisions, Right? But in actuality, our conscious mind, our in and therefore ourselves, like our identities, might actually be or uh, most likely is the press secretary, the PR person. <laughs> right? The person who just justifies whatever the executive is doing. Right? The press secretary, their job is not to you know make decisions, it's to report on the decisions being made. <laughs> right? And It's there, they're there to fool Or to communicate, right To, these decisions To, you know The self, like the body itself As well as the, like the internal And the external people, right It's not just for the people On the outside, right, like the PR group The press secretary Doesn't just communicate to the outsiders Right, the people outside of the 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 Government or the corporation, but to the people inside, right? So they also believe whatever story is being told. And in fact, this is how our brain often works. This is why we have so many biases. Is because whenever a decision is made, the the conscious mind then comes up with a justification as to why that decision is made. And in fact, the most of the time, right? You are you are trying to convince yourself. That this was the right decision. You're almost never gainsaying that decision. All right. You, as in the conscious mind, is almost never saying, Oh, this was a bad decision, you know, um, and we should do this instead, right? You're not doing that <laughs> when decisions are being made on the on the on a regular basis, right? It it even if you do have those ideas, it, it usually comes way after. Right. Once you start getting the feedback and you're like, oh, shoot. (laughs) Right. And there's most likely some element of your unconscious mind realizing that and then your conscious mind justifying those decisions on why the old decisions were bad. Right. Um, So, yeah, this is really important to to recall that. Ourselves our conscious mind that the job is not to make decisions right. It's it's so funny because I wasn't even looking for this information and Here it comes just corroborating, you know my own uh, ideas around free will and stuff like that um, And maybe that's just my own <laughs> bias, but nonetheless I think it's it's a very powerful idea and We have a lot of evidence, you know kind of showing that this is the case that It's our unconscious mind that makes a lot of these these decisions or most of these decisions maybe even all of them and our conscious mind simply reports on them right simply is allows us to become aware of the decisions being made now I don't necessarily want to reduce this to just us being a PR agent right because there is a huge amount of power in being aware of decisions being made because every animal like I said before makes decisions I think every almost every living being makes decisions but only conscious ones are aware of the decisions being made and because of that they can self-assess they can change they can you know make decisions far into the future right they can make decisions based on information that would otherwise be impossible to even to ever uh, into it to ever experience right a, a a squirrel, like I said in a couple episodes ago, a squirrel doesn't actually know why they are burying, burying, you know, their nuts. They don't actually think about the future. They don't plan for the future. It's an instinct, right? It's an instinct to grab a nut and bury it as in, and bury as many of them as they can. And then, you know, When they need to, when the situation changes or when the temperature changes or whatever, they go and try to dig things up. And again, they don't remember where they dug what up. I mean, they don't remember where they dug a hole to put a nut. They don't remember. They don't have this, you know, long-term memory of these things. It's just an instinct to dig wherever they can smell or whatever until they find something. But we as conscious people, right, if we were conscious squirrels or squirrels were conscious, they would be able to know you know oh this is a really good nut why because and they have this idea right of a future of a future state where they say oh this nut will will stay in the ground right will not you know um, decompose or whatever all these other things and so now they can create a cache of things and they can bury it and they know exactly where to go to get it back the next time right so they will be be more aware of these things so that's what we do as as humans we farm and we produce things because we know that in the future we can get more. Or, you know, when, when foragers, right, they didn't, they didn't hoard things because they knew that they could just move to another place and find more stuff, right? <laughs> they didn't really worry about these things too much. So either way, we had this idea of the future because of our conscious mind. So even though we don't make conscious decisions, most likely, doesn't mean that our conscious mind is powerless, Right, Because as anybody, even you can this with the press secretary or with any press, right? The story that's being told, that's being spun, is the one in which new decisions will be made. Is the one, or at least the one that will influence the new decisions. Because if the story is being told is really bad, then the environment will change and the feedback you're going to get is going to be terrible. And so you're going to have to make a different decision. Because the, the, the feedback you got says, oh, I didn't get the, re- I didn't get the rewards I thought I was going to get from this. So it's really important to spin stories, or, or, or it's really important that we're having these stories spun in our minds. That we're spinning these stories about these decisions that we're, that's being made. It's not to say that we have no agency. Because the stories that we tell ourselves based on these decisions are in fact our agency. Because we can, once we become aware of the, of the decisions that were made, and once we become aware of the possibilities right, that can result from these decisions, then we can look, we can become more aware of where to look next, what to do next. And because of that, your, your unconscious mind can make better decisions. Because you can now maneuver yourself. Okay, we can say, oh, in this environment, you know, I made this, this decision, and it didn't turn out well or this happened or this happened or whatever you make a story And we say oh, uh, what happens if I go in that environment? And so now we are gonna our body maneuvers ourselves to that environment and we're like, oh wow, you know different results And in fact, you see the same thing happening with humans if you they did a study where um, If you have humans people who, who were in this poor neighborhood If you move them to a new a, a better neighborhood um when they're at a certain age before they get to like 15 or something like that then they can they often live a better life versus if you move them after that certain age they usually um stay at the level of of the their parents in that bad neighborhood and that's because the stories that they are able to tell themselves change based on their environment and when you're younger right your mind is more open to these different stories and these different environments and you can more quickly adapt and all these other things this is why it's so important to for diversity right to be um, for younger kids to be exposed to a lot of different faces and and ideas and all this other stuff and again this is another study that you can see is that when they have babies um, um, that are exposed to different sorts of people doing different actions you know they might be more or less open to certain to those people or to or to those actions when they get older. There's, there's so much other resources here so much other research on this stuff it's it's incredible that's another reason why I want to do like a whole platform around you know sharing this sort of information because there's a lot <laughs> of stuff right that we've figured out. Well a lot of it is is either hard to find or not being spun right in the in the cultural study in the cultural stories because the PR people. Right, of our current um society is trying to justify the stories being told by the people in power. That's another reason why it's so important to have a more egalitarian organization, um, structure, society. But yeah, I'm going all over the place here. I'm I'm gonna end it here. I'm thirsty, my mouth is dry, <laughs> and I've been all over the place and this is very long. So yeah. Think about all this stuff I've said (laughs) And let me know what you thought I'd love to have conversations about these things Um Whether it's today, tomorrow, next year Next decade, next millennia (laughs) Find me somewhere I'm I'm out here And uh Let's think about how we can make the world a better place And be better people Don't be afraid to be revolutionary Don't be afraid to be radical Keep being awesome Love each other, love yourself And uh Let's Let's keep it moving y'all Have a great day See ya Bye bye